Yeah, light and breezy. Yeah. No more than 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like just 20 minutes. Just That's tops. It. Absolute 20 minutes tops. Watch this. Hello and welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I am Tom Mills and today I'm joined by Sam Williams. Greetings. And Bruce Fitzpatrick. Good evening. How are we? Got the full squad on. <laughs> well, thanks. This is how, how rusty you, we are. How have, how have you two been keeping in the last six weeks or so since we had uh, all three of us on? I think it was the Ryder Cup, wasn't it, when we, when we last had the three of us? Yeah. So, you know. It was a very, very long time ago. Shooting the breeze. Like. But mm. I think... To be honest, since then, there's not really been much professional golf worth talking about, if I'm perfectly honest. There's just been a sort of some half events out in the US and mm. we've been sort of climaxing here in, in the European Tour or the DP World Tour, as it's now called. But Oh, hang on. No, that's not correct. That's not correct. It's from next season, isn't it? So mm. let's just... Well, yeah. Uh, no, I, 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 I'm going to correct you there. I think it is the... Um, I think it is the DP World Tour Championship that's happening this weekend. So it has been re- it has been rebranded, Bruce. But we will come on to it. We will come we, on to yeah, it. Don't want to go think, down the rabbit hole yet. Uh, do it. Uh, what I would say about that is it, it does feel like a long time since we've potted together live. Um, but my God, isn't September and October just a ridiculous month or two in the diary for golf? Mm. Like it's just crazy. I feel like what, busy. It has been hectic as hell. I think September. September is significantly busier in my experience than the summer. Would you not agree, Bruce? Uh, yeah, I think it's a, they're great golfing months in the UK, aren't they? I mean, we're conscious that um, a lot of courses, the greens really play at their best, I think, in September when they've had a kind of summer of growth, and um, but they're not quite getting maybe scorched as much as they are at the in the height of the summer. So maybe someone one of our many agronomists or um, greenkeeping experts could just tell me why that is that most UK golf courses seem to have better greens in September time. Um, but yeah, a lot of great autumn golf to be played. Um, I guess but everyone's got one eye on the fact that the clock's going back in October. Um, so they want to, you know, get those, those sort of afternoon rounds in while they still can. Um, and I mean, you, you know, just speaking on behalf of the jar as a whole, not that I've been really been partaking in many of these trips, having uh, started working life in earnest down in London, but you guys had a brilliant trip to Northern Ireland. Sam, you then backed oh, it up yeah. with a, with a trip to Valderrama. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and we had, I mean, and we had the not closing epic. party. And of we course. Had the oh, closing yeah. party, didn't we? And I seem to remember at the early part of September as well, me and Tom did an absolute uh, blockbusting trip around Surrey as well. Mm. So yeah. there's oh, been yeah. a lot of golf. About and in September, about... we did Woodall Bruce. Yeah. Was that in September? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Re- off these. <laughs> and we've just tracks. done New Zealand. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, I suppose we've been quite busy. Um, we've been very fortunate, I think it's fair to say. I think I can't remember a glut of golf. I mean, we've, we obviously had a lot of stuff in Scotland in the early part of the year, but the glut of golf in September and October was just simply ridiculous. And also there's just been a load of matches. I, I'm sure the people that are members of clubs in the UK, there's a lot of like, you know, club matches because people are back at school mm. or, or kids are back at school anyway. And the summer holidays are kind of at an end, but anyway, well, enough of us trying to make excuses for, um, 
a little bit of a dampener on the number of pods, but uh, yeah, I mean, the not closing party took a heap of effort and, mm. and I think took t- t- the eye off the pod for a, for a week or two there. So um, there might be some listeners no. that don't know what the not closing party is, Sam. It's Since possible. it was your baby, Sam, I think, yeah, yeah you're I the one who needs so. to sort of give it, give it the full run through. We'll put it to bed after this one then. So um, we mentioned it, I think briefly on the Jeff Shack pod, but essentially in Ibiza every year, there's closing parties, aren't there? So I just had this idea that you could have a sort of a music-themed closing party for the end of season golfing, which would happen in October. Um, And we'd have it at Cleve Hill, but because Cleve Hill didn't close and stayed open, we would have a not-closing party. Um, And, you know, it was just amazing. It was kind of exactly the same feeling from the June day, where it's just so nice bringing together people from different parts of the world all of them who are probably tapping out message to each other on, on Instagram and Twitter and stuff. And, you know, people just sort of connecting with other like-minded souls and then hearing back, you know, the number of games, people said, oh, I'm going up to see so-and-so over here and stuff. It really is remarkable. I just thought it was a, a really good fun day and a, a nice way to end what's been a pretty good season. So, uh, mm. yeah, I thought, um, the music was a little bit, uh, I mean, it was, it was certainly loud on the first tee. We've got that oh, pipe down the fairways, music uh, and on the way round. And how many requests have you had for that eighties playlist? I mean, I, I never really had you down as someone who, who had a wide music palette, Sam, given that on the long well, car journey to Scotland, rock, didn't you? <laughs> I thought it was all just American pie sort of college rock, but it's college prog rock or film scores. If it comes from Sam yeah. Williams. Well, if you go in and type into Spotify, the not closing party, you will get access to a, um, <laughs> a, a Spotify playlist that'll give you everything. That DJ SJW's. Uh, yeah, it's Bruce Springsteen, yeah. Hall and Oates. Which brings us on to our official and official for the week. Spotify. Thank you, Spotify, for offering your services up free of charge. If you listen to an advert, it sounds great. And you can get the not closing party for free. There you go. Straight into your ears. Um, so yeah. And I I think in that time it was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was an, it was an incredible day. It would be remiss not to say that Bruce won his own golf day. Um, Um, can we talk about (laughs) your, your ability as moving host? No, no, no. I just, I need to stay on this for for a few more moments. Your ability as a host, Sam. Um, so for, for the, for those who don't know, um, when we did the original mixer, um, I was like, right, you boys crack on, play golf. I'll do some bits and bobs around. And we did it at our home course and I went around and, and it was fine. The logistics at Cleve Hill was slightly different, uh, whereas it's so sprawling and massive that you kind of got to go to the first point, stay there for a while, go to the second point, stay there for a while. But where you set up shop tended to be where the bar was. So um, by the end of the day... <laughs> yeah, so I was doing like a... Well, we had two sort of drink stops around the course and you know how you play in corporate days, you'd have like a beat the pro. So the pro will just sit on a par three tee and just keep firing seven irons at the flag and you've got to get it closer. I felt like that was kind of what I was doing with a bottle of Moretti in my hand, um, just essentially chopping a beer with, uh, with mm. anyone that would come through. Um, which, yeah, I mean, that left me, left me rather tired by the time we got to about nine, 10 o'clock in the evening, but it yeah. was, um, fire pits and all sorts. You no, know, it was an outstanding day. It was really good. And I, I will add that, uh, signed up as country members to Cleve, um, being in the Midlands and being kind of not too far from there. I think, you know, amazing what they've put together in terms of a country membership package there. So, I mean, an, an old Tom course, Mackenzie did some sort of redesign work there. I think some of the holes are absolute bangers. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, 200 pounds 
to, to play there a year is just absolutely fantastic. And I, I, just a, a nice way, I think, for us to kind of support the work that Nick and Sam and the guys there are doing with it. So, uh, but yeah, no, it was really cool. Really good. Ditto. Yeah. Here, it was here. very, very good, wasn't it? We, we, well done, Sam. Well done, Sam. I think we had a, it was a, it was just good. It was good, good uh, team effort from all that came in and supported it. Now, uh, there's a little bit of golf news that's happened in the last few weeks. Mm. There's been a fair bit of golf news, but we've Way just been too much. And it's kind of, well, you know, there's just been a lot going on, isn't there? I think I feel like the natural starting point here is probably the DP World Tour rather than the Saudi Golf League stuff because a bit more timely going into the World Tour Championship next year, next week. Um, it's, I, I don't know about you guys. Do you feel like we're maybe at a point, and it was, we kind of touched on this with Jeff Shack earlier in the week, we could almost start to see a total glut of events now in UAE. Is this just, does it feel like, I don't know, money's just totally taken over here, isn't it? Mm. I've got an opinion on this. And it's part of the reason for me that we've not podded a lot recently is that um, I feel like certainly since the, the, since COVID, there's just too much golf and it's too um, thinly spread for me. You know, there's just not enough. I, I would prefer if they said we've got 30 weeks of golf and this is what is just go watch that and enjoy it. And then all the best in the world are going to be there. But this, like what I'm seeing at the moment, I'll turn on any, any Wednesday to Sunday, you turn on the TV and there's golf and it could be anywhere and it's live. But it's for me, it's just, it's too thin. It's too, yeah. you get the odd good player in them. Um, I'm just not getting engaged. And for me personally, I feel like if whatever comes out, the Saudi golf league, the premier golf league, the, the PGA tour, the DP world tour, whatever comes out, I personally feel like it needs to be condensed slightly. Now, having said that, sorry, I'm monologuing. One of the remits of the DP world tour is they're going to have 47 events with a minimum $2 million purse, but 47 events. Yeah, there's player fatigue, isn't there? There's clearly yeah, a, a massive lot. amount. I mean, you can see Ram, like I, you know, Ram's obviously not playing next week um, in, in the in the Tour Championship final. You can't really blame the guy. No, you know, yeah, he's won it a couple of years. You know, in the past, I think he won it 2019. Might have been the last time he won it. Um, you know, he's had a monster year. U.S. Open win. You know, top point score in Ryder Cup probably wasn't hard in Team Europe, but. It's just guy. These guys are just totally fatigued, and there's there's just there's and the Saudi Golf League stuff or the PGL, whatever happens, it's not going to reduce the number of events. No, but also I think that they're clearly like, uh, what's what's the the purse for the 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 Tour Championship now? Is it eight million? Nine million. Nine million, nine uh, million dollars, euros. I believe. Maybe not you. I think it's nine million dollars. Ram. Um, that's clearly not an incentive enough for him to come over and do it. And I don't think moving forward that it's going to be just lobbing cash of the situation is going to solve it. I just think for me, something needs to change just a little bit. I don't know what I, you think. Yeah. I don't think it's just a uniquely European problem though. I mean, to be completely honest, like you look at even the PGA tour, it just feels that 
after the Ryder Cup, there is a gentle kind of wind down. People are sort of resetting. And yeah, maybe that's dictated by the timing of the playoffs and the PGA Tour season. But I mean, take the, the Bermuda Championship a couple of weeks ago that Lucas, as Sam, I think maybe said in the first <laughs> nah. podcast, Lucas Ebel. But you know, that he, <laughs> that he, uh, that, that the Lucas Ebel. That's like a full status PGA tour event with a really good, well, decent prize fund as far as I can gather. And there just weren't many people who wanted to play in it. Like they, they went down to however many reserves just to trying to get people to play in it. And I think that was partly governed by the fact that Bermuda had a fairly stringent sort of COVID admittance policy. But I also think it just speaks to the fact that, you know, a lot of, a lot of players, particularly the best players in the world where they are paid so much money, they just want, you know, some time off six, seven, eight weeks off, probably in the case of someone, um, you know, like a, like a Rory McIlroy. In fact, you know, just circling back on our earlier comments about not having talked about loads. I mean, he, he notched up another win this year out in Vegas at the CJ cup. And again, it just feels like even with Rory winning, not loads of people mm. are talking about it. It's just a, there's just a general kind of apathy or, or lack of enthusiasm around golf at this time of year, because it's like, well, what are you really building towards? There's no major on the horizon. There's no Ryder cup or FedEx cup sort of finale on the horizon. It just, I think to me and a lot of other people, golf is almost seen as a, you're always sort of gravitating towards the next big event, the next major or, you know, the Ryder cup or the, the end of season. And, the European tour probably suffers as a result of that. Yeah. I think, I think also, um, as a viewer of professional golf in, in winter in the UK, there is never more of a disconnect between what you're watching on TV and what you're doing than in winter. You know, you, you're watching these guys in Saudi or in Vegas or Florida or something where they're playing in the sunshine t-shirts and you're like oh this is the sport that i like to play on the weekend and you go out on the weekend and it's like pick and place trudge through this freezing cold six layers it's just like it's they're, they're so different i think mm. that it's like oh this is just it's not what I, play. I could connect to it though i could definitely connect to it now i think i think maybe what a lot of people are experiencing though is that they think there's spectator fatigue there's player fatigue kicking in i i think if you know if there was major around the corner if we were really getting yeah. into yeah. the season yeah. it happens to be in the winter the fact that it's uh in direct opposition to the weather we have here i'm not sure that but we've just had so much great golf to watch haven't we? we've had how many majors in the last 12 months six something like that we had like they, they packed mm. them in didn't they so we had a we had more than our fair share we had the Ryder cup we've had all of that stuff going on um and i don't know maybe Maybe the, I mean, I'm sure the, the kind of governing bodies, PGA will have known we were going to probably hit this point now where um, these deals are going to start coming on the table and things are going to start happening. But it does feel like we're at a crossroads with it where, you know, something's going to have to happen here. We're going to see player fields split massively. If things like Saudi Golf League get off the, get off the ground and they start to come good on some of the talks of the players that they're supposedly in discussions with, then all of a sudden the PGA becomes a slightly diluted proposition. Then mm. that starts to look different. So maybe that will just thin it out even more. Like it's already a little bit thin, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you got some, you got someone like Martin trainer in the mix, you know, tonight going into the last round and, you know, he's, statistically being one of the worst performing players on tour for the last 18 months. It's also looking like, I mean, they're only, I think as we record this, there's, there's a tiny, you know, probably four, three or four holes left of that tournament. 
but that, that's looking like it's going to be the, I'll have to get this right, Ryan, the highest winning score um, in many, many moons. As in, he's nine under the last time I checked, and usually it's much, much more under, lower. Mm. Um, but um, Yeah. And I think it's just symptomatic. It seems like we're on the same page here. There's, there's not really much of a sense of flow to this part of the year um, or a sense of like what you're kind of building towards. And actually, I think back to maybe, you know, 2015 and prior to that, I can remember sitting down and watching the last few events of the European tour season because it's like, yeah, Rory was going to go back to Dubai and he's, mm. he was going to go and have a crack there and, you know, Tommy Fleetwood and Molinari even in sort of 2018, I think there was a bit of a race going on too. Um, but having, having the DP world tour championship, whatever it's called a full eight, nine weeks after the conclusion of the American season. And with the fact that, you know, COVID has really just accelerated the fact that there's a huge gulf between these two events and the, the just really the strength of field. I think that's ultimately what it boils down to. It's like the strength of field at PGA tour events in the peak season is just so much different to that in the European tour events. That's, that's just causing us to totally lose interest in um, the golf that's being played this time of year, because there's not really much going on in America. And even though it's the headline event on the European tour, because it's had fairly weak fields all year, there's just not loads to get excited around. That's, uh, I mean, that's how I feel at least. Uh, having said that, though, um, Rory is going to be at the DP World Championship. So that is something to look forward to. There should be a fairly strong field there. I mean, mm. there's something to be said about the rankings a little bit. If you, you know, if you want to go into it, perhaps you don't. But <laughs> the, the top two on the race to Dubai is um, Colin Morikawa and Billy Horschel. Now, I know Billy came across for... Um, what event was that he played? Wentworth, in, uh, Wentworth. Wentworth. Fully ingratiated himself with the West Ham United supporters, I believe. He also um, played the Dunhill. Oh, the, 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 he also played the Dunhill. Yeah. BMW, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, he supported us. Um, but he hasn't played you know, a phenomenal amount of, of golf on the European Tour. Not like like a European Tour stalwart would play. But he's second. Colin, obviously, with the, the Open is, is, is top. But... There seems to be some fairly funky weightings that if you come and do something, Will Zal- Zalatoris, for instance, is 11th on mm. the uh, race to Dubai. Yeah. You know. I mean, what is going on there? I mean, that's absolutely the, outrageous, isn't it? It's funky, I mean, isn't it? The, the, the ones that are the European tour stalwarts that you really want to be rooting for, you know, Richard Bland, mm. outrageous, yeah. you know, eighth position. It's like, that's absolutely unbelievable where he's come from and the year he's had. I mean, that would be the... I mean, I, I don't know, calling it a Cinderella story might be seen as a little bit harsh, but, you know, it really is impressive if he was to come good. Um, maybe a little bit too far back. But, you know, those, that, those top three names you mentioned there, Tom, you know, Morikow, Horschel, Rahm, they have between them 28 European tour starts. Is that what now, Bland's, is? Bland's <laughs> notched up 22 on his own, you know. Right. Um, and bear in mind, that is capturing the headline Rolex series within there because they'll be playing things like the Scottish. They'll be playing things like the open, obviously. So, so let's just to zero in a little bit on next week. You've already mentioned Rahm's not even turning up, which is tough. Horschel and Morikawa. Understand, is that, understandable. Um, New father. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's cut him some slack here. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just yeah. I, I, I don't I don't disagree with what you said, but it's just tough, isn't it? From from the tournament organizers' perspective, Morikawa and Horschel are they are they arriving? Believe so. Believe so. Believe I think so. R- R- well, Rory is as well. So there should be it should be something to look forward to. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think from that I'm, perspective, I'm excited. But again, I think it's just it's strength of field, isn't it? It's like okay, mm, yeah. strength of field. We've got a major winner from this year, and I'll be one of the, the, the you know standout performers of the Ryder Cup team. Horschel is kind of trending in the right direction, and Rory's Rory. So yeah, people get around the TV screens and watch it. And we're going to be yeah. and we're going to be rooting for Bland. You know, mm. we're all going to be rooting for Bland. I'm and sure. Bob Max is your favourite in the world. Yeah, yeah we've gone off him a little bit. Since we've done a huge amount, has it? It's been quite <laughs> you, a season. Gone off, gone him. off him a little bit recently, haven't you? Well, you know, I think it's, he didn't reply. To, he didn't reply to your request to come on the podcast. <laughs> and I mean, they say they say never meet your heroes. And uh, I mean, no, no, Sam's big, not even big, been afforded that opportunity to meet him. So I think that's really just you know left a bit of a sour taste in the mouth. But there's a, there's players like Bob Mack where you feel like this has maybe been a year of adjustment, like he's stepped up massively in terms of the the type of events he's playing a lot more pga tour starts playing in america um probably been a bit 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 tricky for him this year in terms of making that adjustment um but yeah I'm a massive fan of bob mack you know that I, I just i'm really it'd be really good to see richard bland have a great week you know yeah i just yeah, think 100%. that would be um i think the other thing i wanted to mention about dp world tour is obviously the massive uplift in the um just the overall prize fund so i think mm it was spun in quite a strange way because they basically kept stripping out things like the Rolex series events and then putting them back in to suit their um, promotional material. So it was like, if you take out the Rolex series events, it was like $110 million. You bolt those back in, it's like another 30 million and that gets them to the magic 200 million prize fund. But it's a massive uplift in terms of the cash they're playing for. And I think that extends well down throughout the European tour or what we would previously refer to as the European tour. So things like challenge tour events are going to have a lot more money going with them. That's kind of where I feel like the money needs to go in the game. I think that top 50 in the world level, particularly when we're looking at... They're okay. <laughs> yeah, they're fine, aren't they're they? Okay. You know, so you're going to get, you know, Saudi Golf League, you're going to get some, you know, people who are in the twilight of their career who are quite happy to take $30 million to go and play, you know, some high profile events. But mm. actually it's the guys that are... You know, maybe that buys them one more year on the challenge tour to try and really make it. Or maybe that that's the difference, you know, in terms of whether or not they can double down on that as a full-time career, or maybe it's a you know, an early exit from the professional ranks. And I think yeah. I think that's a good thing. So I so I look at it and think from that point of view, that's a good tick, because that's where the money needs to be spent. The the bit in my back of my mind, which I mentioned at the top of this, which was the number of events out in the Middle East just feels like it's totally at odds with all the other kind of rhetoric around the game. Main, mainly it's st- sustainability, one. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like I yeah. honestly don't I mean, understand that- how putting these courses on the map as, you know, like they are, you know, they're absolutely anti-sustainable. Can, can I just add to that? Not only is, this, is it like sustainability, but you know, you like see these tracks out in like Dubai that they can only play under floodlights. You're like, well, there's your carbon footprint, lads. You're just firing out lights just so you can play golf in an area that you can't actually grow grass. It's outrageous. It's remarkable. So I I think that that's a factor. I think there's obviously the whole Saudi thing, which probably doesn't need a huge amount of explanation as well, which um, I think that's, that's just difficult optically. 
And then I think the third and, and the biggest thing is like, I've watched those events and I've enjoyed watching them occasionally, but never once I had any interest in playing golf in the Middle East. And I just think it's a really bad advert for what golf should look like. No, they all look the same. Like, no, uh, come on, come this on. Is, at some this point, is sweeping at some point, generals. Someone's going to come in and say, "Are well, you guys on Instagram? Do you want to go across to Dubai and do some filming Absolutely. out there? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. I'd I love to. Well, I've been out now. there. I've been I out there. I've on the record. It, so. I have no interest in playing them. Okay, but look, I think the golf out there is... Uh, it's good and it's interesting. It's it, Well, okay, it's fun. I mean, when you're stuck in sort of rainy cold england in november okay we've actually had quite a nice day today so so not the best time to be talking about it fairly pleasant but yeah let's face it golf in england in sort of november december through till even march time can be a little bit bleak and a bit grim and it's not that dependable um across europe so yeah it makes sense that the european tour goes out to dubai to the middle east just generally to go and play golf out there because it, it, it is a very winter golfing destination. Having said that and having, you know, enjoyed playing a few rounds out in Dubai, um, back in 2018, that's the only time I've, I've, I've been out there. Um, yeah, I totally echo all your sentiments in that it is absolutely anti-sustainable and, and <laughs> flies in the face of a lot of the rhetoric that's being made about, you know, we've just had the COP26 conference, obviously, obviously in Glasgow and not to talk too much about, politics and bring that into a golf podcast but yeah it, it does not look good um as an advert for, for golf's sort of sustainable future added to which you throw in the questionable human rights records not of just the main sort of culprits like saudi arabia but also somewhere like the uae it just yeah it doesn't look great does it and i think if if the governing bodies or the tours were able to come out and say look if you want to see you know, these events, you want to see the best players in the world. You want the whole advertising circus that goes along with it and the media circus that, that, you know, makes it into a real spectacle. We do have to get into bed with some slightly unsavory actors. That would be fine. But I just think people get sick of the sort of the contradictions, uh, you know, in terms of mm. let's make golf more accessible. Let's make it available to all. Let's, you know, bring it up to speed and stop it being such a stuffy kind of um, closed shop elitist sport that's all fairly positive, but then don't turn around and, you know, do things that are completely um, inimical to that, that message. God, there's wanna, some long words in there. I want to, I want to ask a question. So before we went on tonight, just shove something up and just some, any questions and stuff. You always, always good, good stuff comes through. Um, Mark Edwards sent a question in and I think it goes on for this. I'm interested in your take. What pro golf should look like in five or 10 years time versus what will probably happen. Where's mm. your kind of head out on that? And let's just simplify it. You know, five years time, where do you think it'll look? I think it will look exactly the same as it does now. I think the... You're going to hit a ceiling. Th you think we're close to hitting a ceiling with it? I think the PGA Tour will be stronger than it is at the moment. I think that the Saudi Golf League and the Premier Golf League will will try and fail and only empower the PGA Tour to do whatever it wants to do and pay whatever it wants to pay and it's completely in control of everything. I mean, essentially, I, I'm not, obviously, a pro, an expert in any of these things, but they now, they took uh, a decent chunk out of the European Tour. Is that right? 
in terms of their stake in it. Controlling Venues. Not, it's 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 not, it
it's an engaging sport to watch, but only at times. And four days of stroke play, that that for me would be something to fix. Do I think that that will be remedied as part of anything that's going to happen in the next five or ten years? Yeah, I actually do think that that's that's a that's an option. We've seen it in cricket. And then there's the location would be for me second point where I'd be like, yeah, that's a that's a that's another issue. Like I think things look really similar. I think the look and feel of events, and you can tell when they go and do things like the West Coast Swing, you get a nice feeling of variety. It's actually mm. quite a bit more stimulating to watch when you see them mm. teeing it up at Riviera, for instance. I'd mm. like to see an awful lot more of that. And I don't. I'm I'm kind of one of the most. I don't really like the whole bifurcation stuff, but it's probably the only way we can get to see a professional tournament played at Cypress Point is if we start playing on limited, you know, limited distant balls. And, you know, that's just one example, but you get where I'm going. It would probably bring a lot more into play on the Melbourne Sandbelt. You could probably look at some really cool courses in Japan. Um, you know, I'm going to throw it out there. Holland, I'd love to see more professional golf players. Yeah, like Holland, we all know yeah. how big of a, yeah, we all know that, but you know, do we see that's going to happen? I'm not so sure. No. And I, and I think even if we did, I don't think it would force the lateral thinking and the scheduling. Um, but I do think we are going to see more money flowing into the top 50 in the world. We're probably going to see less into the feeder tours. I think it'll become, it's, it's going to become increasingly competitive. There's more people playing the game. There's more people, you know, the standards always drifting away. Um, difficult to answer but i would like i think we're all saying the same thing in what we want to see happen i'm not certain that the pga tour will be as strong tom in five or ten years time i think you will start to see some of this splintering like there's clearly going to be some momentum behind the saudi golf league and the pgl is going to have some options there it's at its disposal i'm just wondering whether it'll be more sort of ad hoc things you know people supplementing their salary with the match the match two, the match 2000. It's like mm. whether it's just picking up a few quid here and there, but ultimately they're staples, the PGA tour. And it depends how much they can, they can come out and bully people. My understanding of, of the, the premier golf league and the, the Saudi golf league, whatever it, that, that's going to be called is they won't have any impact on their ability to enter a major. And if that's true, then, that they they are going to be empowered if there is any way shape or form that the the USGA or the PGA can can control if they enter a certain major or not then it's basically shut up shop isn't it yeah but there's some real yeah there's some real issues there aren't there because the US Open and the Open are as the name suggests open to all so as soon as you start then limiting that premise um yeah i mean it's opens all kind of real issues well, political issues in the game yeah. um point you make there sam about the format I, I get it but i mean let's not forget when we were talking about um the wgc the dell that horschel won earlier in the year i i don't know whether modern golf is it's a kind of chicken and egg situation but modern golf is probably even worse to watch in the match play format when you just boil it down to like a singles knockout and there's just one match out mm. on the course and they take, you know, a sort of glacial amount of time to, to play. Yeah, no, um, I get that. But if you yeah, had... The, the rider cup's had... brilliant, but like, I don't know how beyond the team format, you know, match yeah. play or, or, or that kind of thing is, is maybe a sort of antidote to the issues or the sort of lack of stimulation you get from just watching 72 hole stroke play week in, week out. I still think that's the most exciting form of the game. Um, but like with the, the majors, etc., was was a good example of, <clears throat> of of incredible match play viewing 
last year, whenever it happened. Yeah. Um, you know, if you had a league system where everyone plays everybody like you have in football or whatever, and they can play each other and there's loads of matches on course and they all mean something and that continues all around wherever you can make it sort of TV friendly. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't propose to be suggesting that's what they do, but mm. there are ways round it. Certainly. I think we've gone miles off, off, off track on this, but I think there is, <laughs> it's gone away from us. <laughs> This one's got away from us a little bit, but I think it has, um, you know, there is ways around it. I think I'm with you in a bit, Sam. What I I would go on to your 72 hole stroke play thing. What I think didn't really have a chance to get off the ground, I think because of COVID was the sixes. Um, You know, that, that had a few events and then um, is basically stopped in its tracks. I wonder whether if that was allowed to run out and play its course. That was the sublime to the ridiculous though. You know, I think that that's like interesting to get new people into it, though. You know, like you say, yeah. cricket. I, I just, I, I just think, you know, even if they're two day events, or even if they're, you know, I, I'm not looking for this is going to be radical, but I just think four day stroke play is just really hard to watch. Now, you know, I disagree, actually. So you, you dial in on a, I don't know, even you, in the majors. I'll be honest, the Fridays are really hard to watch. They're trickier. Mm-hmm. Like Thursday, you've got a bit of excitement. Friday's like, okay, it's going on. Saturday's moving day and Sunday's obviously the finish. Mm. I don't, I wouldn't say I'm glued to a professional event from start to finish. Like you just can't be. There's too much golf to watch. There's physically yeah. too much going yeah, on. Yeah, there is. But but that's why for the majors, I'm like, that is the, the pure format. And, and I know what you mean in that um, doing it for the, you know, Kraft Nabisco championship or the sanderson farms it's like yeah this is i'm not going to tune in and watch this sort of thursday friday but again i wonder whether i I know we've always joked about it and i'm like i don't really enjoy watching that much professional golf oh my god the absolute irony of a guy then being part of a three-man team and (laughs) potting about golf it's like yeah that uh, work that one out but maybe it seems like we're kind of all on a on a similar wavelength there and despite what we do you know we'll tune in and dial in and you know kind of turn over every stone when it comes to the majors and some of the other bigger events but actually the run of the mill pga tour european tour event even for sort of fanatics and people as passionate about the game as us it's just not that interesting can i ask a philosophical question you can't you know in tennis they've got a fairly similar structure they've got like four majors and then lots of events um how is it that in the men's game, any certainly, and obviously for the when you think back to the Serena age to to the to the the women's game as well. But in the men's game, if you think about the men's game, how sort of three guys have just dominated it, you know, absolutely dominated it. They just won every pretty mm. much every major there was, and in golf, you just don't get that. Why don't the same people win every week? Because it's just a completely different sport in terms of the, I mean, the, the margins of it are so, so small. I know they're small in every professional sport, but I mean, it's like when they were comparing Federer and Tiger, when they were both sort of at the peak of their powers in the mid 2000s, um, or yeah, sort of towards the end of the first decade, at least, uh, you know, Federer's beating one person every time and okay, he does it through five six seven rounds however many there are I've probably share my complete ignorance as to the format of a major tennis tournament but he's beating one person each time whereas 
in golf. And that's why stroke play is, is arguably the purest format. You know, a professional is going to have to beat 120, 150 other competitors every time they tee it up. And when that's aggregated over four rounds, it's like that is just, you, you know, you have to be so much better than everyone else just to so win a, a statistics just, just to win like just to win like five percent of the time or whatever it is you know or one percent of the time it's like you have to be so much better than everyone else and it's yeah it's just the nature the nature of the sport really i i, you know, I actually I, I agree with you that the in the professional ranks that the 72 straight play is the purest form i think the purest form for the everyday player is match play but um yeah, I, I also think, Tom, you know, there's more breadth in the game of golf, isn't there, fundamentally? Like, the fine motor skills required for the disciplines that you've got within a game of golf, just from putting to, you know, teeing to iron play. Um, and like you say, Bruce, the fact that you are essentially playing against a field of over 100 players rather than against one person in, in standalone fixtures. And also, we, we know that racket sports also, you know, you know, it's harder to have that kind of on his week type feeling within racket sports, you know, things like squash, you know, a squash player will beat someone they're marginally better at eight times out of 10 golf mm. just doesn't work like that. Um, mm. But it's fair observation. I think it's interesting where it will go. And I, you know, I think the only other part bit funny if we had a, a, a slightly ironic question from someone about cancel culture in golf, but you know, I think there's a little bit of a watch out on that as well. And I think, um, you know, I'd like to see the players, you know, I'd like a bit more sort of authenticity from the players in general as well. And I think um, maybe some of these new tours might give that. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But, you know, I think sometimes particularly um, by and large, I think it can sometimes be a little bit sterile with the players in, in terms of getting the personalities through. That's where having them mic'd up on the course would have been so good. And it feels like that's just kind of naturally hit a roadblock now and maybe that won't get past but it would be nice to see a little bit more player interaction i think um for the viewer just something to and maybe with this conversation is just a symptom of the fact that professional golf's just got a little bit dilute the last few weeks and it's like there's not actually that much to sing about mm. I, I think the pga or the european tour or the tours they could have said to the players you know there is no option you you will wear microphones and that be that, and you know, and you could tune in and watch someone's round live, and you can listen and talk to their caddy, and as long as they're all in the same boat, they'd all get on board with it. But it's when they're saying to to, to a group, "Oh, do you fancy being mic'd up this week?" They're like, "No, not really." Um, no. But if they came down and just mandated it and said, "Right, you're all doing it, or you can go do one and play on the play on a different tour," they they quickly get on board. And I'm um, again, I'd be, uh, compel- it- I'd, I'd be really compelled to watch that. I don't know if it's just a bit gimmicky though. I don't I, I call me a, I, call me I a like sort of traditionalist, but it's like, yeah, but you've always had little conversations in the past, you know, that you, you pick up from a sort of microphone that's out in the fairway or, you know, if Ferrity's following along and he's got his microphone, you can pick up some background noise. I, I do wonder whether we're kind of, you can trivialize it a little bit and trying to into yes it is entertainment ultimately like all these sportsmen they're entertainers that's why they're paid such huge amounts of money but they are we do at least like to sort of believe in the kind of the idea of them as athletes trying their hardest and if we're just you know if we're trying to if we're trying to capture their every sort of thought or or expression i i just don't know whether that it's just making it a bit sort of gimmicky 
really yeah um, it's interesting how you look at it I, yeah. I i i don't see it like that but i do as soon as you put the word gimmick in around golf for me i'm like i'm running a thousand miles and i think that's <laughs> the and the thing is once the once major broadcasters get hold of this and run with it for half an hour like it feels gimmicky and i think that's one of the things that's um you know there's always a danger with that when they try and do some of this contrived stuff uh, that it comes across as gimmicky, doesn't it? So, and it will um, be sponsored. You know, it will be sponsored, won't you? So, you know, yeah, obviously, yeah, we've got Aon sure. risk reward is already kind of, uh, you know, grated on us heavily, and a lot of other people fairly. Cisco would be a good sponsor um, for that. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully, we've not come up, come off this pod sounding Zoom. too glum about the Zoom prospects. Zoom would be a good one for that as well. But, Zoom would be good. Yeah. I but think, no, I, I think we are glad because I think I think actually the, the, the point I the way I see it is it just feels like the, we're at a crossroads with it somehow. Mm, Maybe yeah. I'm over overstating that. I don't know. Well I think I think the next few months, a year, are gonna be really interesting to see what pans out. In in a in a lot of ways, I'd like to see one of the the alternate teams or whatever you're going to call them, the alternate sort of styles of play i'd like to see them to have some level of success because i you know competition is brilliant i'd like to see them have rival tours and they could go and choose and what they want to do and see how that pans out and i think it'll be a really interesting six months to a year now but speaking of gimmicks trying to keep this somewhat on track mm. um what will be gimmicks from now on are green reading books yeah, and that's just a no-brainer decision. I I would expect us to be unanimous on this one. Yeah, I'm I'm happy that they've been outlawed. I think it's interesting that probably the world's foremost putting coach, Phil Kenyon, has just gone absolutely nuts that they've been outlawed. Um, and, has and he? yeah, oh yeah, he put a, a post on Instagram just saying this is an absolute joke. You know, it's not going to speed up play. Like, what is this all about? Um, you know, he kind of understands where it's going for, but you know, uh, I think he just. Maybe quite rightly, it's it's an area of his expertise, and I think he would argue that there's definitely some skill to be used in in the green reading books. But look, it's yeah. again, it's just it, uh, without wanting to sound like a dinosaur. <laughs> I, I, I think I think I think you, I think you <laughs> I think you guys are going to be on a, on a similar view. It just whenever you're really taken away from the traditions of the game and how it was played by you know some of the pioneers and, and you whenever you feel like you're just getting too far away from that i think it's just time to sort of stop and reassess and and yeah maybe just go back to, to how things were go back to a slightly simpler time do you think young tommy morris drew drew a line around his ball for putting no hmm. i don't think he did but i do hmm. think i get these things are these things are all in increments, aren't they? So you don't you don't go from, you know, Ob Keeler writing about Bobby Jones, nineteen thirty or whatever, to the Aon risk reward overnight. You know, these things happen in baby steps. And I, I agree. Like you see some of these things that happen, and you, yeah, you, know, you look at maybe the, you know, there are say without sounding too bitter about it. you look at the media landscape at times and you think it's just you know we're running away from the traditions of the game we are we are we're running away from some of the stuff that makes <laughs> what are you golf. talking about sam well you know there's some i i think i think look yeah you can have a you know people are willing to are able to do what they want but you see massive amounts of endorsement for stuff that i see as pretty base media coverage and it's usually under the under the guise of growing the game rhetoric and 
and, and stuff like that. But I, I agree with Bruce to a point. Like it feels sometimes jarring, but it's really you can't and you can never put the toothpaste back in the tube, can you? It's like once you've once you've lost that bit of authenticity from the game, you can't get it back. And as much as we look for the Bellatas and the persimmons and the, you know all that kind of stuff we can't really go back there very quickly so no. uh, you know i think you've got to be realistic with it um yeah i don't know i i i, I like some of the traditions of the game but, but you know it's how you how you're attracting a, a new new group of people to golf in a way that doesn't look stuffy and and look like the game's kind of straight out of the 1920s half the half the challenge i think yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's funny because I had a, a very interesting conversation um, down at Rye last weekend when I was, I was playing in a foursomes match there with a couple of guys <laughs> at the dinner table who talked about... It's um, about the most drop. elite golfing statement ever. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because it's a, I guess it's a traditional, you know, it's a traditional place and foursomes is a, is a traditional format that the three of us all love. But, you know, uh, we had a conversation along these lines about um, two things, really. One was a, a comment as to why no golf ball manufacturer manufacturer has made a ball with a GPS tracking device in it that prevents you from losing your ball. Because surely with all the advances in TrackMan, TrackMan have just released a ball that allows you to like, you know, hit a ball into a screen indoors, into a simulator about a meter away and still, you know, give you full readings on it, 350 yards away and crazy technology like that. Why is it that no major manufacturer has been able to put a GPS in a ball that stops you from ever losing it? And another, them. another, another related question was, should we be able to, uh, you know, with the rules changes that came in, in 2019 and just sort of the general kind of way things have moved, should we be able to place the ball whenever it's on the fairway, basically avoiding the most annoying and one of the most kind of contentious points in the game around the rules, which is if you find a divot, should you be able to take it out of the divot? And it's interesting because I think the three of us all kind of agreed that on the divot side of things, you should play the ball as it lies. That is the core principle of this game of golf, which is it's kind of a microcosm for life. You do get some really good luck and you get some really shit luck and you can hit a great shot down the center of the fairway, find it in a divot and you feel really hard done by in the same way that you can hit a ball in the trees. It can ricochet out into the middle of the fairway and you have a perfect lie or it can go deep into the bund and you never see it again. Or you might hit a half decent shot that you, for some reason or another, you never see again. It's I think ultimately what our sport is built on is like there's elements of luck, um, which go together with this mixture of skill that's required too. And it's sort of, yeah, it's a microcosm of life really. And we can never really sanitize it or sterilize it so much that we take out the kind of little bits of chance and good fortune that we need. And to me, like the green reading book, the idea that the skill of green reading yeah. is, is totally taken out of it by having a perfect sort of 3d map of, of the green that, that gives you all the breaks. It's just like, yeah, that, that really doesn't sit well with the spirit of things. Number one, the reason they don't put a GPS in balls is because they, they charge five pound a golf right. ball that's the obvious one yeah no that's the obvious <laughs> yeah. that's the Number obvious answer two but is... but actually on that point surely if someone came along with gps and a ball everyone would buy it and they'd make millions so well yeah, yeah maybe. Ball. Um, that's anyway. the, isn't that the principle of uh free market capitalism number two and this is going to be a you know this is going to be a straight lift from from a previous guest of ours which is mike clayton 
But Mike Clayton would argue, and I've heard it and I completely agree, that playing your ball out of a divot only benefits the better player over a long period of time. Because everybody, everybody will eventually get in a divot or two divots or 10 divots or 100 divots over their lifetime. But only the better player can play out of them successfully. So actually, it shouldn't be the better players that are saying, this is unfair, you know, I can't play off the fairway. It's a skill that you need to learn in the game because you need to play the ball as it lies. Well, I agree with you. You need to play the ball as it lies. But, <laughs> and again, it's just brilliant that you've come back to your statistical persona, which always comes out in this pod. But it's like, yeah, maybe it averages out over time and everyone finds an equal number of divots. I mean, it doesn't. Some people are really lucky. Some people are really unlucky. But mm. it doesn't really help you if like, you're playing in the biggest round of your life and you strike one down the 72nd hole or the 18th hole and you find yourself in a divot. I'll tell you what, if you were in the biggest hole of your life and you've got, you know, it's caught at the open and you get, you walk down the open on the 72nd hole and you're in a divot and you turn around to your players and go, this is here, this is so unfair. You'd look like a right dick. So just don't do it. I feel like yep. we might have we, we digressed. Might have lost, we, we might have digressed. There's a, there's, there's, I feel like there's a danger. No, I can recover it. I can recover it. Richard Bland hit a five wood out of a divot on the 72nd hole at the Belfry. Yes, yes. yes. To, to, to claim his maiden Victorian, uh, Victorian, well, and maiden European Tour victory. We look forward to seeing him seeing it up next week. And uh, yeah, <laughs> over to you, Tom. No, I think I think that was a really good one actually because when he went up to that, he didn't drop his shoulders he didn't sigh yeah, i think he, he might like, have done a little cool. <laughs> just cool we're gonna we're gonna go out and play it um are we gonna yeah. address some of these these questions that we've had sent in or we've done, we there's gonna... a few quick far ones we've done it we've done a, we've done a few of the hot ones i did have a couple circled that i wanted to wanted to cover um one of our listeners dara garrahy would very very much like to know which course you've enjoyed filming this year tom most that's an interesting one um, you're gonna have to help me, Sam. What have I filmed this year? Cruden Bay. Cruden Bay was was good to film. Um, the obviously the dunes and the light was amazing. Um, Carnoustie was good to film. Royal County Down was pretty special to film. Didn't because, have great weather though. Well, we had, in fact, we had some of the best weather you can get to film because it was like we had quite bright um quite bright light that was coming through it wasn't sunshine it was quite bright though really really dark moody sky and the waves are crashing in the mountains in the background um that is yet to be released but there is um there is stuff in the can about royal county down and it's um that was that's a place that really really <laughs> In the blew my socks off so i'd say it's uh, rcd and I, by the way if anyone was at the um the the not closing party and picked up my royal county down top um obviously i know you did it by mistake but could you please return it because that's still missing shameless plug <laughs> carry on okay. any more questions uh, a couple there's some i think we'll come back to in other parts to be fair but um one's about current club membership and golf bubble and will it last i feel like that's probably a separate pod discussion because i feel like I that's, so. that's that's that's, that's fairly mm. nuanced yeah, I no, will that, close. that could be a good one that could be a good one uh, so i will close and i'll also um with this question i'll also volunteer one that I thought was pretty good that we got on a poll recently but which is the most obscure stash scene at any golf club we've visited. Now, 
it's not one I've had firsthand. This one came in as response, but I thought an ice bucket from Shinnecock Hills was right up there as being one of the most niche pro shop purchases I have ever heard of. Um, uh, Bruce, I'm, Tom, go. Uh, mine's. Have you got a short one, Bruce? Because my story's a little bit longer. Uh, you go. It'll give me time to think. Okay, well, here's, here's what, you know, when you get into the wokeries of the world that we live in, you start to seek out these, these logos and you think everything that you see means something. So when Sam and I were in <laughs> Port Rush, we went to the harbour bar and had a drink and we sat down and this fairly big guy, clearly played rugby once upon a time, maybe still did, big dude, sits down across from us with this really niche, tiny little logo of a tree. And we, we all look at him like, okay, it's not something. So it's, not, it's, not, it's not Cleve Hill. Okay. Yeah. It's, oh, Christ, it's got to mean something. We're all talking to each other. I mean, literally it, for an hour, it's all we talked about was what logo this guy was wearing. He must be gone forever. It completely dominated our chat in, in the Harbour Bar for an hour until, until, one of us, like I can't remember who, just leaned over, like just as the guy was leaving, saying, "Mate, this is killing me. I have to know what logo that is." And he goes, "Oh, it's just the make of the shirt. I don't know. Um, it's, just, <laughs> it's just a brand." Yes. And he walked out. And we're like, "Oh, that's really disappointing." So we did have one volunteered with this question as a start of a ten. I think it's going to take some beating, but baby bibs from Merion was mm. was cited. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Dog collars from Portrush. I mean, I think that's pretty niche for sure. I like the dog collar one though. That 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 makes sense because you know, obviously, the sort of Peter Millar belts. Those there's a very clear aesthetic to the golf belts. I think right now, and I can see how the dog collar sort of fits in with that. I've heard fan court do a range of chopping boards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a, a few. I think there's a few. You got your your plastic cup from Valderrama. Yeah, I have. Well, that that's actually not in the pro shop. That was uh, stolen straight out the buggy. To be fair, but right. uh, um, let's not dwell on that one. Certainly, some 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 food for thought, really, in mm. terms of we'd have to. I think I think the objective is going to be for anyone who listens to the to the podcast is to contact us with the nichest pro yeah. shop material you can find and with a picture that would be great and something we can we can gram mm. um but actually considering bruce starts before we pod um in our little preamble bruce starts every podcast with right boys short and sharp yeah 20 minutes that's enough isn't it so uh, I okay think that's so much might have gone over your, on that <laughs> you so might have gone over our quota. so um i think on that point it's been a pleasure talking to you this evening, gentlemen. And uh, until next time, whenever that may be, we'll probably have a bit of excitement from DP, won't we? I think that will be, uh, that'll be a good event. Mm. So until next time, all the best. Adios. Watch this.